It's not just about me and my dream of doing nothing. It's about all of us together. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. We weren't meant to spend it this way. I have to leave now, okay? I have to get my resume ready. Get your resume ready for what? For another job where they can just fire you for no reason? That's right. I, if I'm lucky. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of being pushed around. Aren't you? Yes, Peter. But I'm not doing to do anything illegal. Illegal? Samir, this is America. Come on, this isn't Riyadh. You know, they're not gonna saw your hands off here, all right? The worst they would ever do is they would put you for a couple of months into a white-collar, minimum security resort. We should be so lucky. Do you know they have conjugal visits there? Really? It was Hi everybody, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. Open up with that scene from the movie Office Space, you know, talking about uh, talking about going to jail and talking about doing some stuff, you know, and uh, you know, worst that worst they can do in America is put you into a minimum security white collar resort for a thing that they're talking about doing money laundering, you know, and uh, before I start the show, I'll I'll play the little clip that they talk about that. But, you know, I just thought, you know, with everything going on this week, there's a lot to talk about, about going to jail and breaking the law and doing all that stuff. And then uh, that that song was uh, Just Fell In from Sticks, also from 1999. You know, uh, hey, I just fell into a manic depression and I really want to spend it with you. And he's talking about, you know, holding up a 7-Eleven and going to jail. And and I just thought those two, those two uh, that song and that movie clip just worth fitting for this week and you'll know more i mean if you're if you if you watch the news at all you have to have an idea of where i'm going with this but you know what country do we live in anymore where are we where are we you know what you know i was i was brought up that you know hey you respect that you respect the law um i'm recording from my house in arizona this this week and uh, on the way here i got pulled over for doing 90 and a 70 and uh, the cop was uh, very respectful to me, and I was very respectful to him. I didn't want to be a little a little a-hole like uh, so many people are when they get pulled over. Uh, these guys have a hard job. They don't know if they're walking up to a car with a, with a gun or something. They don't know whether they're risking their life. Uh, the guy did say, hey, is this your truck? Because I've got a Montana license plate on it, and I'm driving to Arizona through California. And uh, I go, uh, yeah. And he goes, uh, what's your, you know, I had his, my insurance didn't even ask, he didn't ask for it. He just asked, what's the name of your insurance company? And uh, he went and ran the thing on the computer and said, hey, 
You should get this notice in the mail at your California address in the next 30 days. Otherwise, call in, have a great day, and drive safe. And say, hey, you know what? That's how I was brought up. You know, if you don't, if you don't obey the law, you go to jail and uh, you don't, you know, it's not even a consideration. It's not even a consideration. Those of you that have dealt with me uh, from a, uh, on, uh, on mortgage loans, you know how I deal with you. I, you know, I tell you everything up front. I give you my opinion on, on the pros and cons. I don't do things based on what, what's best for me. I do things what, what are best for you. And I just don't go there. That's how I was brought up. That's how most of us were brought up. And today, that's just not the world we live in. You know, it's just, uh, hey, you know, you just take whatever you want. There's no consequences for anything. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, what we see going on in Washington, D.C. is just a travesty. It's just a, it's just, I just shake my head and just go, what the hell? Where do we live now? But anyway, I'm going to talk about all the details of all that stuff but before I do, let me introduce myself. For those who don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting the, involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are lots of fantastic opportunities that are involved in the real estate business, the interest rates are starting to come down, and you will watch will watch things start to uh, get better even next week. And of course, they'll get even better next year when the uh, when the actual uh, Biden administration admits we're in a uh, recession and the fed starts dropping the rates that will happen uh you know unless of course we reelect biden and they and they uh and they take and they get rid of the the dollar as a standard currency then all bets are off on whatever happens to anybody and with any money and uh but you know assuming that we're going to come through this assuming that god has a plan that doesn't include 40 days and 40 nights of uh of rain coming up uh, and we'll survive this, then, uh, you know, don't stop, don't stop your plans for the future and stay away from real estate because you're worried about the interest rates. Prices are still going up on real estate and uh, interest rates starting to come down. It'll be better next year. But anyway, if you, if you want some financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get some information, but you don't want to talk on the phone, just yet, because it's so personal, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo, fill out the form, tell me how much information you want back, give me as much information you want me to have, and I'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Uh, if you want any part of the show repeated, stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear the, this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, subscribe for free and have it uh, download once a week to your device, your uh, your uh, your computer, or your iPhone, or your iWatch, or your your iPad, or your iPod, your Mini Pad, your Maxi Pad, anything you can listen to uh, to uh, to podcasts on. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch more devices that that I don't know about yet because I don't frequent Best Buy or uh, or you know, hey, is Circuit City still in? Is Circuit City still? Uh, yeah, in uh, in business is uh, I know you go into the Verizon store. There's a bunch of that kind of stuff, but uh, you know I don't. I'm not a techie, so I don't know if there's lots of other devices that you can do. Um, but you can get the. But if you uh, subscribe, it'll download to whatever you you get. I record on Friday mornings. It'll upload Friday afternoon and download to your device shortly thereafter. If you have comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. Okay, so let's get into what's going on. First of all. 
First of all, before we start, I want to play one more little 10-second clip from the movie Office Space. And they're talking about what is money laundering? To clean? No. Wash. Here it is. To conceal the source of money as by channeling it through an intermediary. To, con- to conceal that the source of doesn't money. doesn't really help us, Michael. I can't believe what a bunch of nerds we are. We're looking up money laundering in a dictionary. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, hey you know, just in case you don't know what money laundering is, um, because there's sure a lot of it going on with our government people. And it just shows how corrupt, how corrupt our government is. And hence why we elected Donald Trump, because he attracted us because he wasn't part of the government. He wasn't part of that of that mess we call the swamp. And it attracted us that somebody somebody from from our side of the of the of the of the field said, hey, here's a guy that's thinking the same things. Hey, we notice these people coming into our coming into our country. And you know what? You think that we'd learn from history. Um, you know, we've had Katie Hopkins on my show several times. And, you know, if you don't if you don't know the story, when the when the European Union was formed and all those countries became one big European Union, they stopped all the they they basically opened the borders and let people just kind of migrate in. And hence, several years later, they don't have their countries are done. Katie Hopkins came over here and said, hey, you guys still have a chance, but England's done because we opened up the borders. We have who knows who's coming into our country and nobody's recognizing, nobody learns by other people's mistakes. Experience matters, especially when it's somebody else's experience. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with that, buy my book. Experience matters. Here's mine. Get on edhoffman.net or anywhere else you can buy books. And it's also on audios for those of you that buy the book so you can get me to autograph it. And then uh, you don't ever read it um, because there's a whole bunch of you out there. Um, but I put it onto audio so it's easier, easier to just listen to in your car. So uh, again, you can get that on uh, Audible or uh, Apple Books and uh, just plug your phone in and listen to it while you're in the car. But anyway, I, I, uh, I get off the subject. So let's talk about let's talk about what's going on, what we learned this week. Evidence of the Biden family bribery scheme continues to bring congressional Republicans closer to exposing the big guy's role in his family's influence peddling schemes. On Monday, House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer announced that the FBI allowed him to view a form that alleged Joe Biden, not Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Joe himself, accepted five million-dollar bribe from an unnamed foreign national while he was vice president in exchange for influence over policy decisions. Hmm. Like uh, maybe we give aid to a particular country in exchange for uh, you guys uh, funnel some of that aid back into my own pocket. Yeah, that's the ticket. You know, it sounds it sounds so simple. We saw it on we saw it on video. We saw Joe Biden admitting it. We you know we impeached Donald Trump for asking about it. It's right in front of our faces, and people are going. And that's, you shouldn't be asking that stuff. This stuff doesn't happen. Yes, it does. Now, Hunter could still be the intermediary, but there's no way $5 million is being accepted in exchange for influence without the big guy knowing about it. You know, and uh, and contrary to what the White House says, it's not malarkey. Bribery allegation. Congresswoman Nancy May says there's damning evidence in the FBI file that you sold out the country. Do you have a response to congressional Republicans? Where's the money? I'm joking. Mr. President, Mr. President, I'm going to a bunch of malarkey. 
Yeah, it's a bunch of malarkey. I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, the media, the media will buy it. And unfortunately, probably half of this country is stupid enough to buy that, too. Uh, especially if you if you look at Twitter, you'll see you'll see lots of people that just it's just not about a possibility that a, that a Democrat could could uh, could break the law. So who was the foreign national? We don't know for sure, but there's pl- there's a pretty good clue as to what country he was from. You think so? Uh, and Co- and Comer believes it was one of several countries that had a pay for play arrangement with Vice President Joe Biden. But first, let's talk about the form containing the tip-off. It's called an FD-1023, and the FBI uses it to document unverified reporting from confidential human sources. So somebody somebody over in the Ukraine says something. We haven't documented it yet, but we fill out an FD-1023 to document that somebody over there said it. And, you know, hey, we, we've notated it, even though we can't actually verify it just yet. In this case, the form was unclassified, and yet... James Comer and ranking Democrat Jamie Raskin were still required to view it in a skiff. Remember the skiff where there uh, were con- where uh, classified documents. You want to see a classified document if you're if you have the the clearance, you go into this this thing that looks like a uh, like a container on the back of a train and uh, has and it you know you go in there, you're locked, you leave your cell phone and any recording devices outside, and when you and when you come out of it. You don't have anything with you. You don't get to take the the documents with you, but somehow some documents still get out of there. Um, so why is it being why is it being uh why are they being required to look at it in a skiff? Well, because there's a cover-up for the current president, obviously. Homer says that even though the FBI allowed him to view the document, they refused to hand it over to the committee in compliance with the subpoena issued in May. That subpoena ordered FBI Director Christopher Ray to give the committee any FD-1023 forms from June or July 2020 containing the word Biden. And instead of complying by handing over the form to the committee, Ray arranged for the skip viewing instead, again, because the FBI is covering up for the president. And uh, I thought the FBI was supposed to be nonpartisan. I thought they were supposed to be nonpolitical. It's a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, that's just a bunch of malarkey, so we don't have to worry about that stuff. Comer says the source of the information on the forum was a credible informant, someone the FBI has a relationship with and has paid him as much as $200,000 for information in the past. In this case, the informant tipped off the FBI to the Biden bribery allegation as part of an ongoing investigation, which Comer believes is the Hunter Biden investigation in Delaware. White House spokesman Ian Sams is accusing Comer of staging a fact-free stunt to spread thin innuendo damage the president politically, and get himself media attention. Comer addressed all of this in his press conference on Monday. FBI officials confirmed that the unclassified FBI-generated record has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation. The confidential human source who provided information about then-Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. These are facts and no amount of spin and frankly lies from the White House or congressional Democrats can change this information. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee. And we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. 
Yeah, and what's he talking about? No amount of spin or lies from the White House can change that. What did he mean by that? It's a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff. Well, you know, hey, Joe Biden said it was malarkey. I'm satisfied. As if we haven't covered it enough, here's a reminder of the whole bunch of facts that we do know. First son, Hunter Biden, earned up to $1 million a year on the board of Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma for five years, starting three days before his vice president's father traveled to the Ukraine in April of 2014. Total coincidence. Total coincidence. You know, they hired him. Had nothing to do with, with anything that Joe Biden was doing. It was just a total coincidence. In December of that year, 2014, Congress approved spending $50 million to support Ukraine's energy sector, including the natural gas industry. Eh, that sounds like another complete coincidence. Remember, just two months ago, back when you could turn on Fox News and Tucker Carlson would be on your TV screen instead of on Twitter, he had a guest on named Mike McCormick, a White House stenographer who documented Biden aide Jake Sullivan talking on Air Force One that very week in April on the flight to Ukraine. So remember, the flight to Ukraine, this guy's recording somebody somebody on Air Force One because that's his job, and they're going over to Ukraine. This is uh, right after right after the uh, by, uh, um, Hunter was made was put on the board of Burisma, and just after that, they decided we're going to spend fifty million dollars to support Ukraine's energy sector. So they're over there, and and uh, and he's recording Jake Sullivan talking about all the money we're giving to Ukraine to support their fracking industry, and who led their fracking industry? Burisma. We know now that three trips to Ukraine later, in December 2015, Joe Biden used this American aid as leverage to pressure the Ukrainian government to fire prosecutor Viktor Shokin, who was investigating Burisma. Remember that? Hey, well, son of a bee, he got fired. Hey, we know we're giving you another $1.6 billion. But you know what? Hey, if this guy's if this guy who's who's investigating Burisma, where my son is getting a million dollars a year so he can give half of it to me. Um, this is this is causing a problem. So, hey, if uh, this guy's not fired, I'm leaving. You're not getting the money. Oh, you can't do that. Well, watch me. And then all of a sudden, he goes, I'm leaving in six hours. And he goes, well, son of a bee. He got fired. Bragging about it. Right on TV. Right in front of the video cameras. He admitted it. And we know that on June 13th of 2020, which was 17 days before the FBI tip-off, tip Ukrainian officials held a press conference where they showed off bags of $5 million in cash, which, according to them, was offered as a bribe to end their investigation of Burisma founder Mykola Zlochevsky. Yet they claimed it had no link to Joe or Hunter Biden. Just another remarkable coincidence. And, of course, we also know that Donald Trump was impeached in December of 19 for daring to ask Zelensky to look into the Biden's activity with Ukraine on their July 25th perfect phone call of that same year in 2019. So let's see. Biden admitted it. All these things, all these things start adding up. You know, sometimes you get a, you get a piece of news in October and that doesn't register. Then you get another piece of, uh, of news six months later in, in March. And then you get another piece of news two years later. And the next thing you know, these things don't all make sense unless you connect all these things and to where they start to make sense. And then, of course, all Trump did was say, hey, you know what? What's going on with uh, Burisma and you no know, 
you know, Biden trying to force you guys to uh, to fire someone in exchange for for uh, for uh, uh, support money. Remember, the support money is our tax money. So all that money that comes out of your check, that's where that money is. Didn't come from Biden's pocket. Didn't come from the government. Came from our pockets. So already it seemed logical that this foreign national who gave Vice President Joe Biden $5 million in exchange for policy favors might be from Ukraine. You think? Then on Tuesday, James Comer reluctantly confirmed it when speaking to just the news host, John Solomon. This uh, uh, Form 1023 uh, involves uh, a business person uh, from Ukraine uh, who allegedly sent a bribe, a substantial bribe, to then Vice President Joe Biden. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so back to back to Monday's press conference, Comer took reporter questions, and it sounds like there's evidence of Biden influence peddling from more countries coming soon. What could these documents actually hold? Could they end up showing more Biden family business dealings with other countries? This document was dated July 30th, 2020. The claims made in the document are consistent with what we found and disclosed to you all in Romania. It suggests a pattern of bribery where payments would be made through shell accounts. So we feel that this accusation is consistent with a pattern that we're seeing, frankly, in other countries too. Yeah, so he's they're transferring them through other accounts, through other accounts. Remember the definition of laundering? You know, hey, you're sending money through all these other different accounts so you can't see where they really came from. Uh, you know, textbook right out of the dictionary. So which countries? As always, the answers are on the laptop. Thanks to the photos Hunter kept, we know that during and immediately after his vice presidency, Joe Biden interacted with lots of international business associates of James Biden and Hunter Biden. Big business players from Mexico, Kazakhstan, wow, wow, is very nice. Russia, and of course, China, in addition to Ukraine. So who knows where this investigation will lead? We also know about one more country that may be part of the investigation. You heard Comer say it earlier, Romania. Last month, the Oversight Committee revealed that just over $1 million from corrupt Romanian businessman Gabriel Popovicu was transferred to at least four Biden family members in 2017. All the while, then-VP Biden was supposedly helping to clean up corruption in Romania. That's ironic. Here's Comer's press conference in May. While Vice President Biden was lecturing Romania on anti-corruption policies, in reality, he was a walking billboard for his son and family to collect money. Hunter Biden and his associates capitalized on a lucrative financial relationship with the Romanian national who was under investigation for and later convicted of corruption in Romania. The Bidens received over $1 million for the deal. And 16 of the 17 payments to their associates account that funneled the Biden's money occurred while Joe Biden was vice president. In fact, the money stops flowing from the Romanian national soon after Joe Biden leaves the vice presidency. So they sent $5 million over and they did it through 17 different bank transfers. And of course, they sent them to various different 
uh, LLC accounts, uh, cor- corporate accounts that were set up to to divert to divert attention from from uh, where they came from. Hey, these people sent these things to these corporations. We don't know where they are. And these corporations sent these over to some other corporations. We don't know who those are, but somehow, for some reason, one of these corporations or several of these corporations transferred money to the Bidens. Well, you know, if you look at it, you know, with one or two of these LLCs, you just can't really, can't really pin anything on him. But, you know, when you start following the bouncing ball, connecting the dots, and of course, these dots were easily connectable, uh, except for the the Democrat Party is is protecting the president. We don't want any. We don't want to end corruption in in Washington D.C. because it's a way of life for all, all of them. So, in other words, Biden's saying you shouldn't be so corrupt. You should just send this money to me, and I'll take care of it. I'm malarkey. Anyway, hey, I'm a lot of time of, for part one of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes traffic, weather, commercials, and sports. And I'm going to finish connecting all these dots. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance on the radio, but you know, uh, the other six days and 23 hours of the week, that's what I do, uh, that I'm not on the radio. I'm uh, doing I'm doing loans. I'm helping you guys uh, get your finances together and and firm up uh, the best the best ways to finance things in your uh, in your in your life with your real estate. And uh, if you uh, want to talk to someone who thinks like you about real estate finance, whether that's buying a piece of property you'd like to own or refinancing a piece of property you already own or learning about that reverse mortgage thing that everybody's talking about. And whether that's California or another state, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo and and do the uh, cyber thing. So uh, anyway, uh, in the first half, we're talking about the uh, the bribery scheme going on with the Bidens and uh, how, you know, it's just a bunch of malarkey, just a bunch of malarkey out there. There's nothing to see here except for uh, uh, the oversight committee. James Comer and his gang are uh, clearly connecting the dots, pulling up the evidence while the FBI, you know, the FBI that we think is, uh, you know, the the premier police force in the in the world um, and should be. And should be nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and say stand up for uh, for truth and justice in the American way. Oh wait, I think that's uh, Superman. But they should be uh, standing up for truth and uh, justice in uh, in America and in you know. Remember the the government's only jobs are protect us from our enemies and enforce the laws. That's all we need them for. We don't need them to create jobs. We don't need them to to regulate the hell out of everything. We don't need us. They don't need us to. We don't need them to to save the world from climate change because no matter what we do, we all breathe the same air as the whole everybody else in the world, and they're not doing anything. So we're just we're just crippling ourselves financially, so that we can uh, so we can accomplish nothing and just feel good about it, you know? Because that's what we're gonna do. You know what? There's there's a hundred wildfires going on in Canada because people don't don't know how to put out their fires when they go camping. But that's because of climate control, climate change. We need to 
we need to put more money into solar power and and buy electric cars because there's smoke coming from Canadian wildfires. Of course, you know, uh, last year it was all California wildfires and maybe later this year it will be again. But, you know, that's climate change. Wouldn't be the fact that we don't clear out dead trees in the forest and that we don't put uh, electrical power lines underground so the wind doesn't uh, blow them off and create fires. No, wouldn't be that. Wouldn't be that. It's got to be climate change. And the only way to fix climate change is to extort more money from our tax pool. So anyway, I digress. So let's go back to what we're talking about. So um, we're pretty much connecting all the dots to the fact that Biden's in bed with the Ukrainians. Biden's probably in bed with the Romanians. Biden's in bed with the Chinese. Biden's in bed with the Russians. But you know what? The Democrats are bound and determined to let you know that the only ones who's who's been uh, involved with the with the other countries around the world or doing anything against the law is Donald Trump. But we'll get to that in a minute. So uh, so who's the informant that tipped off the FBI to Biden's five million dollar bribe? Comer says he doesn't want to know because but he but we have one guess. Here's Fox News story from October of last year during the Durham probe. FBI paid Igor Dashenko, Danchenko, more than 200000 to serve as a confidential human source. Danchenko was the primary subsource for British MI6 officer Christopher Steele and his anti-Trump dossier. Danchenko admitted he was the source of 80% of the information, actually disinformation, in the Steele dossier. He was also the FBI informant from 2017 to late 2020. That's peculiar. That's peculiar. Then this form uh, was filled out in June of 2020, and he was there until late 2020. Ah, you know, it just seems peculiar to me. You know, it's you know, it's just a amazing coincidences all the way through this show here today. Special Counsel John Durham had charged Danchenko with four counts of making false statements to the FBI in relation to the dossier. So there was a trial, and he was acquitted on October 18th. 2022. So six months ago, he was acquitted of all these charges of lying to the FBI, uh, making false statements. And why is that? Why do you think that would be? Maybe because Biden is president, and we don't want to uh, we don't want to uh, implicate anybody that goes to anything against the the Democrat Party. I don't know, but that's what it seems like to me. But other times, Danchenko was such a reliable source for the FBI, they paid him up to $3,000 for conducting one meeting. Hmm, that doesn't seem like a lot of money, except for, uh, you know, most people out there, you know, $3,000 for a week of work is about double what most people make. So one meeting, we give this guy $3,000, but, uh, you know, uh, he's not credible. An FBI agent who testified at Danchenko's trial said Danchenko's source network was more impressive than any other informant he had ever encountered, and that over three and a half years, Danchenko worked as an informant. His information helped 25 FBI investigations, despite a potential threat to him and his family. Hmm. Potential threat to him and his family. Why would that be? Because he knows a lot that could incriminate people in the Democrat Party? You mean it's not just the Clintons? Hmm. Now fast forward to this week when Republican Anna, Anna Paulina Luna of Florida, who sits on the Oversight Committee, tweeted this on Monday. Just left the meeting of, for House Oversight. The FBI is afraid their informant will be killed if unmasked. Based on the info he has brought forward to us about the Biden family. Hmm. That's peculiar. 
You mean the Bidens and the Clintons have something in common uh, that we that we know that when their lips are moving, they're lying. So it sounds like we already know who the informant is. On Jesse Waters' show Tuesday, the congresswoman elaborated on how the committee learned of the death threat. Was the FBI like, you know, it would be really a shame if anything were to happen to this whistleblower? You know, this was something that was uh, told to Chairman Comer actually at the briefing. And what's interesting to me, Jesse, is not only does that tell me that the FBI is not even competent within themselves to protect a witness, but also to, I mean, the evidence that they have that they've had previous to 2020 is so good that they do believe that this person has a credible fear for their life. So it's very alarming. So meanwhile, all this stuff is going on. We know that we know that Biden is uh, extorting money uh, from our country through other countries. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we just heard coming out on Thursday that the Justice Department decided to to indict Donald J. Trump, former president and leading presidential candidate against Joe Biden. You know what? Uh, for doing something that. We know Biden did. You know, they found they found uh, uh, classified documents in his garage next to his Corvette. They found classified documents in his other house. They found classified documents uh, in some storage facility. They found class classified documents in the uh, in the Biden Penn Center in Washington, D.C. You know, they they found they found they found documents not taken while while Biden was president. When he actually had the had the authorization to take documents and could declassify them himself, but taken while he was vice president, and even worse, some of them were taken while he was a senator. Which means he went into a skiff where they take your cell phone away, and anything that you can do to to uh, to take pictures of documents, and somehow he got out of that skiff. With documents in his possession, took him to his home and left him and left him in his in a box next to his Corvette. Now, when he's not now when he's not in Washington in Washington D.C. when well he when he is in Washington D.C. not at his house in Delaware. Who lives at that house? Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden and his girlfriend or his wife and uh, all his crackhead friends. And uh, hey, it was secure. The garage door, you know. Hey, that that garage is locked. So you open the garage door and how many how many people believe that that garage door uh, doesn't open when when Joe Biden's not there? You don't think uh, Hunter takes out dad's Corvette, to, you know, run to run to uh, to Starbucks to get some coffee or, uh, you know, to get a uh, In-N-Out burger. Oh, wait, it's Delaware. They don't have In-N-Out burgers there. You know, you don't think you don't think Hunter Biden, the crackhead, takes that thing for a spin. You don't think he opens up the garage to talk to the neighbors. I don't know. I have a Corvette in my garage, and my garage doesn't stay shut all the time. Sometimes I pull it out and drive it. Sometimes I open it up just so the car wash guy can wash it. Sometimes I open it up just because I want people to see that I got a Corvette and a Cadillac and a nice and a nice truck in there and say, hey, look, I show off a little bit. Well, anyway, so all this stuff's going on, and we're indicting President Trump, but not Joe Biden. Hmm. Does this make any sense to you? What country do we live in? Because this doesn't seem like America anymore. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And you know what? I put a I put a post on Facebook, and uh, 
and I and I put the little notation down there. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And all of a sudden, somebody forwarded me some uh, some Kansas thing, something about Kansas uh, overruling some anti-abortion bill. And I'm going, why are you sending me this? I make one reference to a Kansas quote, and all of a sudden you're sending me abortion bills in Kansas, things to brag that that you know the state of Kansas is uh, is uh, stopping is stopping bills that might slow the murder the murder down of abortion. I don't know what country do we live in. I don't. I'm. I just don't know anymore. So anyway, let's talk about let's let's shift gears over here. Now that we've talked enough about the uh, senile piece of broccoli in the White House, let's talk about who wants to be in the White House. So uh, in an already too crowded field, three more Republicans announced their candidacy for president this week. And you've actually heard of two of them. The one you haven't heard of is Doug Burgum, uh, the governor of North Dakota. Uh, nobody knows him. Nobody cares. And uh, he he's not the only one that nobody cares about. There's a whole bunch of those. But, you know, people are getting in. And I, and like I said last week, I said, hey, I figured out these people. There's a bunch of people that are in that have no chance of winning. They can't believe that they have a chance of getting the nomination. You know, uh, besides besides Trump, you got Nikki Haley, who is the first one to announce. She's a no. She's just not inspiring enough. And I don't think America's ready for a female uh, president. You got Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a, who's an entrepreneur who basically says, "Hey, I'm the guy who's a businessman who's coming from the outside. He's he's trying to be Trump, but he's not Trump. And Trump Trump's already been there. Trump's already been in the Oval Office. Trump already knows the lay of the land." Uh, Tim Scott, Tim Scott, and uh, Ron DeSantis, both of which I think uh, are good candidates for president in 2028. I like them both. But they're not ready now. Uh, Mike Pence, Mike Pence. No, we'll talk more about him in a little bit. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think he's inspiring enough. Larry Elder. I don't think he has a chance in the world. He's probably I think he's running to be uh, considered for a vice presidential spot since we know uh, we know Trump's not going to ask Mike Pence to do it. Asa Hutchinson, uh, the uh, former governor of Arkansas. I don't think so. I put him right there with uh, Doug Burgum. Uh, nobody knows, nobody cares. Uh, Chris Christie, we'll talk about him in a little bit, uninspiring. And then, of course, there's some guy named Corey Stapleton, who's the Secretary of State of Montana. I have a house in Montana. I don't even know who he is. And quite frankly, I don't care. Everybody on that list is a question mark. Everybody's on a question mark that, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Everybody might do that. We don't know for sure, but Trump's been there. Trump did it. We know what he's going to do. And, uh, you know, where we're at in this country, we need somebody decisive, someone who's who's uh, going to make things happen, somebody that has a track record for making things happen. And in those first four years, doesn't have to worry about running a reelection campaign. So uh, so it's no surprise for the two people that got in this week that we actually know who they are, uh, given the tip offs to the media last week. Those two are former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and former Vice President Pence, as I just mentioned. Both delivered town hall-style speeches in critical early primary states. Christie, who at one time was one of the most popular governors in the nation, has been coasting for the last few years as an ABC News contributor. Prior to that, he was the 10th the out of 17 candidates to drop out of the Republican primary race in 2016. But since, some have credited Christie with ending Marco Rubio's campaign by showing him up on the debate stage. Christie seems to think he can do the same thing to Donald Trump. 
now. From Politico this week, a successful Christie campaign probably hinges on Republican primary voters making a hard turn on the Trump era. He's clearly hoping to engineer that himself by attacking the former president directly and clearing the path for an alternative. You know, I heard him mention on the radio on uh, on Wednesday that, you know, I just, you know, Trump just doesn't, doesn't uh, respect the rule of law. He just doesn't respect the rule of law. And why would, why would, why would anybody make those claims? What makes, you know, the fact that, the fact that he, he denies breaking the law when he didn't doesn't mean he doesn't respect the rule of law. So uh, Christie did effectively end Marco Rubio's 26th campaign on the debate stage, but Trump commands a much more loyal base, and I don't think Christie can do it. But now whether Christie can even take credit for ending Rubio's campaign is in question. From the Washington Post on Wednesday, did Chris Christie really destroy Marco Rubio? More than a few have recalled the time Christie supposedly slayed another presidential candidate by the name of Marco Rubio. Rubio, perhaps needless to say, takes issue with this version of history. The article goes on to recap this moment in the New Hampshire debate on February 2016, when Rubio attacked Christie as governor and Christie got more audience applause by minimizing the role of a senator. This country already has a debt problem. We don't need to add to it by electing someone who has experience at running up and and destroying the credit rating of his state. But I would add this, let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is trying to change this country. He wants America to become more like the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be the United States of America. And when I'm elected president, this will become once again the single greatest nation in the history of the world, not the disaster Barack Obama has imposed upon us. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech that is exactly what his advisors gave him. See, see Marco, Marco, the thing is this. When you're president of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, the, the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how a great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. They expect you to plow the snow. They expect you to get the schools open. And when the worst natural disaster in your state's history hits you, they expect you to rebuild their state, which is what I've done. None of that stuff happens on the floor of the United States Senate. It's a fine job. I'm glad you ran for it. But it does not prepare you for president of the United States. Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Oh, that's the the reason why this campaign... You know what the shame is, Marco? The shame is that you would actually criticize somebody for showing up to work, plowing the streets, getting the trains run back on time, when you've never been responsible for that in your entire life. Yeah, I have to say that Chris Christie did uh, make Marco Rubio look stupid. But back to the article, Rubio's case basically amounts to the idea that he still had a pulse after Chris Christie uh, supposedly ended him. On Tuesday, he tweeted this, any political reporter commentator claiming Christie ended my campaign in 2016 is lazy or dumb. New Hampshire debate sucked because instead of hitting back when I went attacked like I wanted to, I listened to the advice about pivoting and not punching down on Chris Christie, who was at 7% and about to drop out. But it didn't end my campaign. After New Hampshire, I finished second in South Carolina and Nevada, won three primaries, 
almost won Virginia on Super Tuesday, finished on the third most delegates behind Trump's historic campaign, and was reelected twice by eight and 17 points. All right, that's uh, that's that's a good uh, save save some face line, but is it true? On primary day, February 9th, Rubio finished fifth, twenty four points behind Trump, and again, you don't get you don't get much credit for second. And at that time, Rubio even cited the debate. Our disappointment tonight is not on you; it's on me. He said that night, "I did not do well on Saturday night, so listen to this: that will never happen again." It goes on to explain how Rubio was competitive in the polls with both Trump and Ted Cruz in Iowa. A good finish in New Hampshire could have been his ticket to ride. Rubio's national polling didn't drop off a cliff after New Hampshire, but his momentum was clearly halted. The moment certainly played a significant role in ending whatever shot Rubio might have had at the nomination. So that's what Chris Christie did in 2016. But he still didn't get the nomination, and he obviously didn't become president. Regardless, he launched his campaign Tuesday in New Hampshire by going straight for Trump. And if you can't admit to the people you want to lead that you're not going to be perfect, and if you decide that the people who you ask to come with you to lead will always be the ones who are blamed when anything goes wrong, that they'll be called names, that they'll be dismissed, and that after they leave your service, they're nothing but idiots. Beware. Because that leader not only will not serve you, they will not be able to find anybody who will serve them. And a lonely, self-consumed, self-serving mirror hog is not a leader. Yeah, contrary to what everybody else believes that uh, is a registered Republican. Eventually got around to attacking the other candidates, saying Trump's name and announcing his candidacy. And so now we have pretenders all around us, who want to tell you, pick me. Because I'm kind of like what you picked before. But not quite as crazy. But I don't want to say his name. Because for these other pretenders, he is, for those of you who read the Harry Potter books, like Voldemort. (laughs) He is he who shall not be named. Well, let me be clear, in case I have not been already. (laughs) The person I am talking about, who is obsessed with the mirror, who never admits a mistake, who never admits a fault, and who always finds someone else and something else to blame for whatever goes wrong, but finds every reason to take credit for anything that goes right, is Donald Trump. And... If we don't have that conversation with you, we don't deserve to ask for your vote. We don't deserve the mantle of leadership. We don't deserve to have you think of us as people worthy of leadership. So I'll say to you tonight that I can't guarantee you success in what I'm about to do. But I guarantee you that at the end of it, you will have no doubt in your mind who I am and what I stand for and whether I deserve it. And that's why I came back to New Hampshire to tell all of you that I intend to seek the Republican nomination for President of the United States in 2024, and I want your support.
Yeah, I, for one, am uninspired by anything he said. It kind of sounded kind of resembling uh, a uh, Kamala Harris uh, speech. So uh, then on Wednesday, it was Mike Pence's turn. The former VP held his event in Iowa, which will kick off primary voting with the caucus on January 22nd. In many ways, our country has grown barely recognizable than just a few short years ago. There are crises everywhere. Our borders under siege. Inflation's at a near 40-year high. Gas prices are through the roof. Fertilizer and fuel prices are working a hardship on family farms here in Iowa and Indiana and all across the country. Crime is skyrocketing in our major cities. Real wages are falling and our national debt is piling up like a mountain range on our children and grandchildren. In classrooms, our children are indoctrinated into radical ideologies and even taught to hate our history. And from boardrooms, our faith and beliefs are insulted routinely. While government agencies target concerned parents and punish consumers in the name of social justice. We're better than this. And it'd be easy to stay on the sidelines. That's not how I was raised. I've long believed that to whom much is given, much will be required. That's why today, before God and my family, I'm announcing that I'm running for President of the United States of America. Well, he made a bunch of comments of things we already know. He followed up his announcement with an interview on America Reports with Sandra Smith. Most people want to know if they're considering voting voting for you in the primary, if, if they think that you can win. And you've jumped into a field with your former boss, Donald Trump. And they are likely wondering how you plan to run against Donald Trump. <laughs> well, you know, we, we really laid out that choice today. But one of the things that I've come to realize the last few years is that I'm uh, I'm I'm well known, but I'm not known well. I think people know me more as a uh, as a as a quiet vice president standing off the president's shoulder, loyally supporting him all the way until a day when my oath to the Constitution required me to do otherwise. But now we have an opportunity with uh, all the great people in this state to travel. Uh, the cities and the farms and uh, the byways and the highways and let people really get to know the Pences. Well, once again, we know the Pences as much as we know them. And uh, I'm still 100 percent behind Trump. And I think uh, he'll end up being the nominee and uh, being back in the White House in the beginning of 25. Hey, anyway, we got a time clock that says that's all the time we have for this episode of the main event. So uh, my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back again with lots more next week.